Amen. Thank you so much. Well, it is great to see everyone today, uh, both here that we can see in person and for everyone that's joining us online. We are, this morning, I am kind of finishing the message that I started last week where I got through only one. And uh, I trust that this week I'll get through the rest of the points of it. So for those that, that maybe didn't hear the message, we, we're talking on, on getting rid of fear or getting rid of anxiety from our lives. It's not good. Is it my fault? Here we go. Hopefully this is good. And talking about... Should I switch microphones? We'll, uh, let's see, if it keeps going out, then we'll, uh, we'll switch things up. So, again, we're talking on part two of this thing of, of getting rid of anxiety or fear from our lives. You might say, well, I'm not someone that has anxiety. But if we're with ourselves, we all deal with fear at different times and in different ways. And so for us today, you know, we want to look at some other things. Last week, we spent the whole time talking about slowing down. Okay, I'm definitely going to switch this mic because it's like literally every couple of seconds. I'll, I'll give you that back too. Uh, there we go. Well, that's a lot better. So as I was saying, talking about this getting rid of fear. So you may, not, you may not say, well, you say, I don't have anxiety, but we all have fear. And they're really, at the end of the day, the same thing. And the concept I want you to keep in your mind today is that of surrender to God. So our goal as followers of Jesus, and we talk about this idea of giving our life to Jesus, it's actually surrendering control to him. Right? But often, especially in our culture, especially in Western culture, we want to keep on, hold on to control. And we're taught to hold on to control. And often, actually, even the things that are taught in church has us holding on to control. Because the society is so crept into the church today. But, and actually, the, the message that Jesus came, and the thing of his disciples, when they were like, hey, come and follow me, it was, you're giving up everything. You're giving up your life. You're giving up, you know, you're, you're, you're becoming a slave to God. Now, the term slave, I understand, it brings up all kinds of different connotations to us and very negative ones. So I don't mean it in a negative thing. It's, it's by choice giving up our freedom to do what we want when we want to do it our way. It's giving up, it's giving up this concept of liberty that we're so big on. You know, it's like, well, I want to be able to choose. And going, you know, and actually, what I've done is surrendered my life, my wants, my desires, even my dreams, over to God. Trusting that the one who created the universe and who loves me with perfect love actually desires the best for my life. And knows better than I do about what that best should be. So the second point of this in terms of us being able to get rid of fear from our lives in this posture of surrender is that we would prioritize rest. Now rest isn't just going and having a nap, though sometimes that's very much a part of rest. 
But prioritizing rest in our life or the concept of Sabbath, you know, taking a day and resting, just as God did. He created the world for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Creator of the universe rested on the seventh day. And Scripture records that for us as, a, as something that's important to understand, that the one who created the world also created us, and that rest is a need. Like he, He's the one that created the fact that we have to sleep. He made us that way. He, he's the one that created the world and demonstrated rest for us. So when we go, oh, I just got to go, 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 go and get things done, that's not us following God. That's us following the world. That's us following the world. And the best way for, you know, the enemy to take us out is to get us really busy. Right? Because the more stressed out, the busier we are, then the harder it is for us to stand up to the temptations that he throws at our way. Author Gordon MacDonald writes it like this. He says that Jesus knew his limits well. Strange as it may seem, he knows what we conveniently forget. Time must be properly budgeted for the gathering of inner strength and resolve in order to compensate for one's weaknesses when spiritual warfare begins. Spiritual war temptation is spiritual warfare. And that temptation can simply be just for us to go beyond our limits in, in all kinds of things. Go beyond our limits financially. Go beyond our limits with time. Go beyond our limits in physical strength. These, these are limits. We're limited. It's awful news in the sense that because we in our society we don't like limits you know that thing of freedom i mean we've got we live in a culture that's basically says there shouldn't be any limits on anything and so the more we absorb the messages of that culture then we 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 feel like oh we shouldn't have limits or there's something wrong with us if we live with limits but jesus the god here as a human lived with limits he lived with limits he would withdraw to places and, and be with his father. There was only, he only tried to disciple 12. He you know, recognized his limits continually. And it was that, that being away, that, that resting. He, he would. He would, he would minister, but he, he would take time off to rest. Way more time than our culture has us take off. He would rest. He would withdraw. He would be with his disciples. He would have time alone. He practiced Sabbath. like The same way he was Jewish, he practiced Sabbath. People attacked him because he didn't do it with, by the legalistic way that they felt he should do it. Like he did terrible things like healing people on the Sabbath. Right? Or when he was hungry, eating some, 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 uh, some grain. You know? Because their religious rules had totally missed the point. But as he said, the Sabbath was, man wasn't created for the Sabbath. Sabbath was created for man, mankind, for all of us. And so this idea of, of needing to rest is not some failure on our part. It's actually us being countercultural kingdom culture. It's having kingdom culture. How you do it. No, that again, you you decide that it, it, we, God, 
There's certain things we're not going to focus on. It's not a preach on Sabbath today. We'll talk on that another time. But even just starting, as I've said many times, we started as a family on Saturday saying, okay, this is the day we're taking off. It doesn't mean we don't do anything. You know, I cooked breakfast yesterday for my family, did some laundry, you know. We, but we spent, I spent a lot of time with God, and we enjoyed each other as a family. We watched a movie, great Christmas movie together, yeah, and then had time in the evening that, where I prepared for today. And it was a wonderful, slowed down, rejuvenating of the soul day. And I, we all need it. We all need that. Now, it's, it is, this thing of rest is so absolutely important to us. And we've got to prioritize rest for every part of our being, our physical being and our spiritual being. You know, we can't keep pushing our bodies to the limit and expect that things will be okay. And this is really important because this is a surrendered thing, right? Because the world says, well, just work a bit harder and you're going to get more. Or you need to work. You, you just got to keep pushing yourself or you're never going to get ahead. But what are we? What when we do that, what we're basically saying is, God... I know you're there, but actually, I've got to make my own way. I've got to make my own way. And it's this journey of knowing and trusting God that is so essential for each and every one of us, that surrender to him. We also try to do things way too fast. We can't do everything. And when we more we recognize that, that we can't solve everybody's problems, we can't do all the things that we want to do, even though we're filled with these myriad of choices, the easier things get because we can be at peace at doing well the things that God has put in our hands. You know, and focusing on that and not trying to take on too much or too many things. Another thing that's absolutely essential for us is what the Scripture calls koinonia, which is deep, intimate relationships. And that is something, again, that the busyness of our society works against. We don't, you can't have good friend, relationships within your family if people don't have time to connect with each other. You don't have relationships with friends if you don't make time to be with friends. And, you know, it's, you can't be friends with everybody. You know, this, this kononia relationship Jesus had with three of his 12 disciples. But we never discover those people in our lives if we don't make time to be with people. We don't make time, you know, where we develop. Because you don't, trust doesn't develop in a moment. It develops over time. And that, that level of depth and relationship, we all need it. It's something that brings peace. Knowing there's people that know you and have your back. That are, that are there for you is, is something that brings peace. It's how God's created us. God functions in relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. God designed relationship. He created us for relationship. We need relationship with one another. We... Uh, when Lee was away, me and the boys watched a little series called The Healing Power of Dude. And, and it's a kid's show about a middle schooler with social anxiety. 
and how his his he he, like, he gets he hasn't been able to go to school because he's so anxious, and he gets this little puppy, and the puppy that relationship with the puppy gives him the strength to to go to school. You know? But then the other thing that does is he he makes two friends. And it's a TV show. I realize I'm talking about a TV show. It's fake. But from my time in social work and things that said that, you know, for so many people, just one good friend would make all the difference in the world to their mental health. And again, you know, this requires vulnerability. It requires risk. But the importance of friendships cannot be understated. But for those real relationships, they've got to be trusting. They've got to be safe relationships. So it's, it's important that we say, hey, we're going to be committed to be safe and loving people you know, to those around us. Safe means, you know, someone opens up to you about something, you don't go share that with other people. You know, safe is you're not judging. That we love people the way Scripture describes love in 1 Corinthians 13. That we love people with the fruits of the Spirit of, of Galatians 5, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That we're not judging and condemning people. And we become the safe people for each other. And then there's prayer. Contemplative prayer. So often we see prayer from the concept of intercession where we're going to God and asking for something. And, and that, that is part of prayer. But there's a whole other aspect of prayer that we see Jesus modeling out for us, which is just being with God, listening to him, and getting his perspective. For Jesus to be able to say, I only do what the Father tells me to do and only say what the Father's saying, he had to have a very intimate relationship with his Father in heaven. And Jesus was fully man, so that relationship he had is possible for each and every one of us. We, it's, it's as grasping God's love for us and that he wants that intimate relationship with you, that he wants to speak to you, that every single one of us can hear God. He speaks in our spirit, so we may call it our conscience, we may call it inner thoughts, whatever way, you know, whatever word you want to give it, that's how he speaks to us, because we're spiritual beings speaking spirit to spirit with God. So it's very seldom an audible voice, though sometimes that can happen. But the majority of time, it is, it is on the inside that we're communicating with God. And he wants to communicate to each and every one of us it's not some, we don't have to attain something. We've got to actually just change our belief system. Because our belief system has to be that God does speak to me because he speaks to everyone. This comes from a fundamental thing. It's so important. What did Jesus come to earth to do? This whole season of Advent that we're in. I'm wearing red, you know, it's Christmas season, snowy outside, Advent's beginning. And the thing of this season is God is with us. You know, Jesus was born. That's the, the absolute thing of this season is that God came and dwelt among us. That's what Christmas is all about. Easter is about his death at the cross. Christmas is about the fact that God chose to come and dwell with us, and he still does. He dwelled in human form, 
for those 33 years he was on the earth. But now, through the Holy Spirit, he dwells with us internally. Jesus' death at the cross was to once and for all pay for sin so that we would have unbroken relationship with God. You have, if you've given your life to Jesus, have intimate, have intimacy with God. It's just whether you acknowledge that or not. If we don't believe that God speaks to us, we're not going to hear him. If, if you don't, if it's not in your, your faith that God is speaking to you all the time, then yeah, you're not going to acknowledge him speaking to you as him speaking to you. And this, if we're not drawing, drawing away to be with God so that we can hear his voice, because there's all this myriad of other things that's going on all the time that's competing for our attention. If we're not drawing away to be quiet and be with God, to learn how to hear his voice so that when we go back into the noise, we can still hear his voice, then we, we don't, don't, aren't able to enjoy the intimacy that we already have. Because we all already have it. It's, we, it's by giving our life to Jesus, that intimacy is just a given but we don't necessarily enjoy it. We don't necessarily engage with it. It's why Jesus would sneak off to be in lonely places, to pray. You know, this, this thing is we are to live from this place in our work, in our school, in our families, and we go to the grocery store. Like God's with us everywhere. How do we know this? There's lots of things in Scripture that talk about us. It says even, you know, we see in Scripture where um, and having a mind block on where I'm quoting from, where it says, even if you go and unite yourself with a prostitute, you're uniting God with that person in that act. Because God doesn't leave. It's not like the Holy Spirit comes and goes, right, from our life. If we've given our life to Jesus, then we've invited him to dwell within us. He's dwelling within us. It's not that he leaves. But which the, the good news about that is that, you know, when you mess up, he doesn't leave. He's right there with you. He's right there with you. When you're at work, he's right there with you. When you're at home, when he's right there with you. When he's with your family, he's right there with you. In every circumstance, he's right there with you. And my, my wife... She got home. She, you know, she got home. She was the last plane from on her airline to get home from South Africa. She's not here today. She's getting a COVID test so, so everyone can be secure that she's not carrying anything, you know, with her. But it's amazing in hearing God's voice because when we were talking about the trip, I said to her, like, look, if you want to be away longer, Please feel free to be away longer. And she's like, no, I have peace from God to leave on this day and to come back on this day. And she came back on the last day that you'd be able to come back. That's God with us. You know, there's a, a, a young man in Waterloo, I may have told this story before, who was preparing, you know, he was going to be sharing a message on a Sunday. He had a work problem that he was also going on in his head. And as he sat to be quiet with God, God gave him the answer to something that his company hadn't been able to solve in five years. He presented it to management the following week, and they're like, that's brilliant, and he implemented it. And he's like, I know God gave me that idea. And God cares about you the same way. But we aren't able to enjoy those things if we don't actually draw away and be quiet with him to enjoy those things. 
you know, and, and recognize that he actually cares about every aspect of our life. We can trust that if we surrender, that God's not going to abandon us in that surrender. But we've got to be willing, God, your way, not mine. Your way, not mine. And then the last point that I'm going to spend most of the time on here. And that is that we would have this freedom, this differentiation or, or indifference, not in a negative way, but recognizing that, you know what, other people don't get to set my agenda. If someone who, I, you know, whether it's my spouse, my child, a friend, a boss, a coworker, whoever, Whoever it is, where they're at does not change me. I'm not responsible for your happiness. Or I'm not even responsible for you to take, you know, I'm responsible to talk to you today as best I can, present you information. What you do with it is ultimately yours, not mine. Yeah. But we're not responsible for, for, we're responsible for ourselves. That wonderful scripture that Jesus says, you know, we should get the log out of our own eye before we try to get the speck out of everybody else's or someone else's. And so much of our spiritual walk is actually about us and God. You know, about us being with him. Because God's even better at getting the specks and logs out of our eyes than we are of <laughs> getting them out of our own. If we'll listen to him, if we'll, if we'll journey with him on these things, he wants that intimacy. And that is what being a Christian is actually all about is that intimate relationship with God that is lived out in community. But our primary thing is our intimate relationship with God, that God is with us. And when I, when I speak on this one, I'm going to quote a lot of different people because this is something I'm growing in. So I'd rather have those that are a little farther ahead of me speak to you than my own voice on this. But... Here's the most important thing in this differentiation is that it is not our job to control others. You know, that we don't get to control people, we don't get to control events, and we don't get to control circumstances of our life or other people's lives to a desired end in order to live at peace or be happy. We don't have to control things to be at peace and be happy. Let that one drop. That we don't have to control other people, events around us or circumstances around us for us to be at peace and to be happy. John Tyson, a pastor in uh, New York City, he writes, If a controlling spirit possesses us, we will not love others. We will use them as supporting characters in a story centered on us. We will see them only for the value they have in enhancing our own lives. They will appear to us as pawns to be used for our personal fulfillment. The drastic misperception shifts our relationships with others from a foundation of love to one of fear. If you've been, a, you know, this is one, frankly, that probably all of us carry to a degree because this is what our society tells us to do. If we think it's all about us, or if we think we're on our own, then we're going to try to control people and circumstances around us to the end that we believe it should be. And this is 
This is a huge problem in the church today. I'm not, I'm not speaking here at Life as It's something we fight against. But when I was a young pastor, man, this was me. When I had no idea what I was doing, this was me. I'm, you know, because I was told you're supposed to have this vision and people need to get behind your vision, they need to support your vision, you need to do this. Well, if you do it all about a vision, then all it is that everyone else is there to serve your vision. That makes no sense. That's not Christianity. My job is to serve. Doesn't mean we don't have a vision, quote unquote, but that vision isn't a worldly vision. Our, our vision is that, that Jesus would be glorified. I mean, I'm, I'm not even going to quote our words because I'm still trying to figure out how to relight it. We said Jesus, no, you look at a vision statement on our website because people want a vision statement on our website, Jesus known by all. What does that mean? Man, let Jesus be glorified in your life, that God would work through your life, that you would be that light in this world. You would be that salt and light, that the people around you would see Jesus in you. You would disappear. I would disappear. I often pray before I get up here, Jim, God, help me disappear so that you would be seen. Because at the end of the day, it's not me you need to remember. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And, it's, and I say that, it's that knowing that Jesus is with you in your toughest moment, at the most difficult times, at your happiest times, at your most boring times, and at your most peaceful times, Jesus is there with you. The Father is there with you. The Holy Spirit is there with you in that moment. He's always with you. You're never alone. You're never alone. I'm not going to be in any of those circumstances with you, but God will. If we have given our life to Jesus, we are living with him in the kingdom. Now, not when we die, now. Isn't that good news? You're living with him in the kingdom now. And that good news of that, of living with him in the kingdom right now, is that all the resources of the kingdom are available through him. We just, we just need to learn how to live at peace with him. Again, not using the resources of the kingdom for our own ends. It's that, okay, God, I'm in this circumstance. I can trust you to walk me through this. I can trust you to be with me. Be with me through it. There will always, we live in a broken world. There will always be suffering. There will always be pain. Being a Christian is not a guarantee of a great life. Jesus actually said, in this world, you will have trouble. Right? So there's no, any, anyone that's like, oh, I give your life to Jesus. Everything is going to be fine. They're lying. It is not what God says. It's not what he teaches. It's not what Jesus taught. But what it does say is God will be with you through everything. He will be there through every circumstance you're going through. He will be with you in it if you let him. Well, he'll be with you regardless, whether you listen to him, let him guide you through it, let him be your counselor, let him be your protector through it. That is up to us. That's up to us. See, in Matthew, where he says, do not fear, he's not saying... And when Jesus says, do not fear, he's not saying that nothing bad will happen to you. He's saying no matter what happens, you can live a life that is set free from fear if you release the need to control and rest in my love. 
so much. As I speak, as I said last week, you know, I deal at times with this anxiety. And so much of that anxiety is about wanting to control the circumstances around me, not just rest in God, not be at peace with him. I read this last week and I read it again, Ignatius of Loyola. He says, we should not fix our desires on health or sickness, wealth or poverty, success or failure, a long life or a short one. For everyone has the potential of calling forth in us a more loving response to our life forever with God. Our only desire and our one choice should be this. I want and choose what better leads to God's deepening life in me. Very different than what the world says is most important. Do we want and choose what leads to God's deepening life in me? Or are we trying to play God? Are we wanting control? God, I think this is what is best. Uh, this is what I want. I want this career. I want this house. I want to live in this place. I want this money. I want these different things. I want my liberty. I want my freedom of choice. That is the garden. That is the choice that was given to Adam and Eve. They wanted the freedom to be like God. Our flesh still wants the freedom to be like God. Not content with God being God and us being his creation. Not content with the limits that come with being human. Not content that there's one king and we are not it. Our society tells us that we should be on the throne of our hearts. And Jesus invites us. He doesn't, he doesn't force us. He invites us to surrender to him. Another quote from John Tyson. He says, Christianity is not primarily a plan of protection against the brokenness of the world, but a relationship with Christ in the midst of it. Using religion in an attempt to manipulate God merely distracts us from the goal of our faith, which is to enjoy an intimate relationship with him. It's a good filter for theology that we listen to, people that we listen to. Do they say if you, you, know, if you just do this thing, either give this money, do this worship, pray this prayer, attend this event, that God's going to then do something for you? Right there, it's classic use of religion trying to control God. Anytime we believe, uh, you know, have this, this wrong belief about God, where it's like, well, if I just do this, then God will favor me. We've slipped in our understanding of who Jesus is and what he accomplished. It's a whole preach on its own. I actually, on this topic of these, these, these four or five different wrong views, four wrong views that are very common in Christianity today, and one correct one, which we're talking about, which is God with us, us being with God. That is the goal of what Jesus did. It's the goal of our walk with him. 
is to be in that intimate, unbroken relationship with him. We don't need to manipulate him. We don't need to manipulate him. So much of what goes on in the church today, there's just no real, there's, there's mis, misuse of scripture to back it up. But there's no, no reality of what Jesus represented in it. What he represented was amazing intimate relationship. Amazing intimate relationship with God. Author Sky Jethry, in his book With, he writes, So much of contemporary religion is focused on God's gifts rather than on God. We shouldn't be surprised to find that when we fixate on what we can attain from God, we fail to experience the peace of his presence in our lives. Are we following God for what we can get from him? Because it'll create a whole lot of anxiety in you when you don't get it. When it doesn't work out the way you think it should work out. It's a common thing, right? Where people go through suffering, they go through a death, they go through a loss. And it's like, well, why did God not, not why was God not there? He was. He is. This is a broken world. There will be suffering. We have not been promised that we will be exempt from it. We have not been promised health and wealth as followers of Jesus. We also haven't been, uh, haven't been promised sickness and poverty. It's, we've been promised a life with him. John Mark Comer, he writes, when we scramble for control, we negate love. When fear is running the show, love is repressed. When we let fear dictate how we relate to other people, we put love in the background. And William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, he said that the greatness of a man's power is in the measure of his surrender. One more. David Benner, a Canadian, born in Orillia, who is a well-known Christian and psychologist, he wrote, fearful people live with restrictive boundaries. People who live in fear feel compelled to remain in control. They attempt to control themselves. They attempt to control their world. Often despite their best intentions, this spills over into efforts to control others. Fear also blocks responsiveness to others. The fearful person may appear deeply loving, but fear always interferes with the impulse towards love. Energy invested in maintaining safety and comfort always depletes energy available for the love of others. You know, fear, God created that emotion in us. It's not a result of the fall. It's a really helpful thing if you step out into traffic. Right? If, you're, if we are under threat, fear is a helpful emotion that tells us that something is wrong. If they're at risk. So it's not that fear in and of itself is a bad thing. 
But what we need, if we're going to get rid of anxiety and, and, and fear, you know, the wrong type of fear from our lives, is that the, what we would fear above all else is God. And I know that sounds really strange, right? We're saying about the love of God and the fear of God, but going, he is the thing that is the most powerful. He is the creator of the universe. You know, above all, I must honor and respect him. I live for him and him alone. And when that is, when, when the idea of living outside of that intimate relationship with God is the most important thing, when it is really our treasure, when that is our treasure, man, everything else comes into line. Remember what Jesus taught, right, about the pearl of great price, about where is our treasure? Is our treasure here on earth? Is it in money and possessions and wealth and how we're doing, our careers, how much money we've got in our bank? Is that our security? Or is it is our treasure in heaven? Is the pearl of great price, would we sell anything? Would we give up anything for that intimate relationship with God, for the kingdom of God? Or is it that, well, I'm, I'm happy if I have God as long as I've got all these other things? Until he takes that place in our heart, you know, we'd be willing to give up anything for him. We're not going to get rid of this fear and anxiety in our lives because we haven't put him first and we don't understand who he actually is. And man, what an amazing journey for us. Right? And I, I say this, I'm, sp I'm preaching to myself with each one of these things. Because I realize how often, even as, as a guy that's given his life over to leading a church, that I get afraid. I don't believe that God actually has my best intentions at heart or that if, you know, that he's as good as he says he is, so I feel like I've got to somehow uh, chain, you know, grab something for myself. Or I fear that he's going to forget me. You know, that, oh, you know, well, these circumstances in my life, I better make my own way. I just better do something to make my own way because I can't trust that God's going to come through. These are not conscious thoughts. They're unconscious ones. You know, but at the end of the day, they're there. They're there. And, and, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, they're likely there in all of us. The wonderful thing is we can ask Jesus, we can be honest and just, God, help me with my unbelief. Help me change my perspective on you. We also, in our culture, have this big thing about obedience, right, in Christian culture. You know, surrender, it's actually more important than obedience. If you surrender, you obey. If you obey, doesn't mean you've surrendered. I'm going to read something from John Tyson on this. He says, Christians often talk about the need for obedience. It's a concept we've come to see as central to our faith. But surrender is superior to obedience. Obedience is a momentary decision, but surrender is the posture of the kingdom. We all know that it's possible to obey God in our behavior but rebel against him in our hearts. Listen to that. Pharisees and the Sadducees. Scripture describes them. Obeying God in our behavior but rebelling against him in our hearts. Obedience can be filled with self-righteousness and ego and can actually reinforce a spirit of control. 
We can even obey God in an attempt to manipulate him. But surrender is different. Surrender is an open posture of love. Surrender is based not on duty, but on trust. It is a free response and attitude that is open to any and all possibilities our Father brings to us. Obedience can happen in a moment, but surrender is a posture of a lifetime. So my invitation to us today is to take up God on that he's good and that we can surrender to him. Surrender your future to him. Surrender your wants to him. Surrender your ministry to him. Surrender your family to him. Surrender your children to him. Surrender everything. The things that you are afraid of, surrender to him. Trust that he is greater than you. That he really, and that he is good. And that you can trust him. In everything. That he really is with us. And it's that that I'll pray for us on today. So Lord, I just pray. I pray for myself. I pray for those online. I pray for everyone here in the room. That we would be able to surrender control. Your perfect love drives out fear, Scripture tells us. And Lord, we want to take your words as true. We don't want to just be obedient in our behavior and and our hearts far from you. I'll be so bold as to say we'd rather our behavior has to catch up with where our heart position is. That we would be willing to surrender all to you even if at times we don't behave that way. Help us to get our hearts right with you, Lord. That we would get off the throne in our own lives, that we wouldn't try to be king, we wouldn't try to be Lord, and we wouldn't be trying to get you to do what it is we want you to do. But we would be comfortable to surrender control to you. That we would begin to experience that truly, real, abundant life and peace that comes when we follow you wholeheartedly and rest in your amazing love. So do your work, Holy Spirit, as only you can. Amen. Thank you, Michael Mary. Thank you so much for the word. I'll encourage you guys this week to just take that into mind and um, just trust God and ask him to show you how to surrender to him. I'll also encourage you and dare you to listen to last week's message and this week's message again, just to reinforce what you've learned. And I trust that your lives will never be the same again. All right. So we've come to the end of service today. Thank you so much for joining us in person and online. Please remember to pick your kids. All right. And also, because we're a family-oriented church, we want to encourage you to connect with someone uh, different today get to know someone i dare you to spend five minutes just to get to know someone different there is coffee and cookies um cookies uh, chocolate chip cookies i think uh, anyway that's my weakness um but i'm just saying uh, there's coffee and cookies available um, please only and tea if you're a tea drinker uh, the 
please only in the auditorium, not in the lobby. Um, and then please have fun, have a blessed week, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>